Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the Formula E title decider and ask if anyone can beat John Eric Verne. The 2018-19 ABB FIA Formula E Championship season reaches its climax on the streets of New York this weekend, with Jean-Éric Verne on the brink of becoming the first double champion. But could there still be a sting in the tail of the championship fight, as there are seven other drivers still in the hunt? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to discuss the title decider and all the latest stories from the world of Formula E is Alex Kalanorkas. Can you, can you believe it's the end of this season almost already? Hello, Ed. No, I can't actually. It just seems like yesterday we were heading off to uh, Adiria in the first round in, in, in Saudi Arabia. That was just before Christmas. So yeah, it's quite a, quite a condensed schedule, but uh, you know, I still haven't quite got used to the fact that the season will be over in the summer. Um, but I have this year, I've learned to take my summer holiday during the summer break in August because everyone in Formula E went on holiday in August and I was sort of sat around, had my holiday then in September all ready to go when everyone else came back. 
So I just so, left idle with nothing yeah. to do. I've, well, not quite. I'm sure you have nothing to do. Not quite. Autosport Plus took over quite spectacularly thanks to a certain Daniel Ricciardo uh, triggering the F1 driver market, as you will well remember, it. Yes, yeah, we were all in the thick of that. Hopefully there'll be some uh, some big stories that have the same effect this year. Well, Just make sure it happens when I'm on holiday, so I've got my responsibility. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're taking the whole of August off anyway, so easy enough, easy enough. Uh, well, let's have a look ahead to the title side. It's a double header, of course, in New York. Now, Jean-Eric Verne is 32 points ahead of Lucas Degrassi. Still seven other drivers in contention. So Degrassi, Mitch Evans, Andre Lotter, Antonio Felix da Costa, Robin Freintz, Sebastian Bremi and Daniel Apt. But there are 58 points available over the two races. So is it as much of a foregone conclusion as it looks? Yeah, I think it is. I, 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 it's, it, Verne won his first title in New York last year. Uh he ended up finishing ahead of Degrassi in the point standings, but it was actually Sam Bird was the only driver who could stop him last year. And last year, it was only 23 points that he had. I say only 23, that's still a massive gap. Now it's 32. He's coming in stunning form. And it's just extraordinary how this championship has turned around in his favour. It was only on the last podcast, which I know, uh, I have to put this delicately, uh, there was, you know, people from Formula E were, were saying perhaps we were being a little bit too negative about the fact that there had been so much randomness and so many winners. Uh, but for me, it was just like, well, there's no narrative. What's the story here? There's anybody can win. It feels almost too much. Now it's completely the other way. John Eric Verne is, is going in there with almost an unassailable lead. And you wouldn't have thought that even two or three races. No pleasing some people, but no, it, 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 is, it is true because you do need a, a storyline and a plot to really hook people in. And there are actually some championships that are quite varied that, that struggle to, to have that that sort of narrative so it is, it is a fine uh, a fine line uh, but uh, 58 points available so it is one of those things where you know if Vern has a disaster all it would take is for someone to punt him into the wall in the in the first race or something it can happen and then suddenly the pressure's on isn't it it's amazing how quickly these things can sometimes turn around and not necessarily through through Jev cracking or anything but just a, a random factor could just just kick him in the teeth and, and then suddenly you're under pressure. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, we, we do see this a lot in Formula E that there's, sometimes there is just that that little something that sparks it all into life and it could kick it off and it's certainly okay. So it, it, you're right, it isn't a foregone conclusion but it's just when you've got that much of an advantage you can control the variables. That, that It's that little bit easier if you know what I mean. Obviously you can't properly control all those variables but once you once you've got the gap it's easier to defend you know his rival's going to have to be taking massive risks qualifying it's it's not all important that he he ends up in going from group one to super pole it would help because that if, if he ends up qualifying down the order that increases the risk that as you say something interesting might happen also a point on that worth uh, recalling back to new york last year and the first race before Vern wrapped up the title he and his teammate andre lotter were actually disqualified from qualifying because they briefly briefly overwent overused the power uh, so i had to start at the rear of the field managed to come through and he's, he's sealed the title with a race to spare but again as you say it does add that extra little bit of edge it's just it's just looking at that points gap it's it's just vast at the moment well it certainly seems we know we know jeff is a, is a driver who can handle that pressure he's won the championship before obviously he's very keen to do it again but the fact that you're going for it again is always a little bit easier you're slightly less slightly less tense obviously the the cheetah team is, is extremely strong that package works very very well and even if jean Eric Verne were to have two blanks somehow, some terrible piece of misfortune, barriers jump out in front of him, that kind of thing, it's not even a foregone conclusion necessarily that someone will overhaul him because you'll need somebody to have two big races, which there's plenty of drivers capable of doing, but even that isn't isn't a foregone conclusion, is it? So, yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a foregone conclusion that Jeff will win it, but clearly he's in a 
he's in a very, very strong position, and, and rightly so. Indeed, and of course, it's you know we we we're saying here, oh, you know, he's he's, he's turned it around, he sealed it, he's won it. That's no disrespect to him. He's done a phenomenal job, and I think we're going to get onto that in a little while about how he has managed to sort of stranglehold this title race. Um, but as you say, there's been is who his rivals are going to need more than one things go wrong for him, probably most probably. Um, but we've not seen a repeat. No one has backed up a win this season. Uh, recently, so Vern obviously won in Sanya. That was his first race win. Uh, then again in Monaco, but it was Degrassi who won in Berlin before we went to Bern, which everyone again. So no one sort of strung that consistency together, which we know, as we've discussed before, is a result of the qualifying rules. It's just so difficult to consistently go from being running first on the road to getting up there, uh, it, you know, into Super Bowl. It's going to be interesting to see with a double header. This is the first time we've had um, this season in Formula E, whether things turn around overnight and whether the people that maybe didn't get their qualifying quite right for the first race uh, are actually in a better position for race two. Now they understand the track a little bit more. So that could be an interesting factor for uh, for the season finale. And of course, Lucas Degrassi is the, the nearest challenger, if you want to look at it that way. He's had a couple of wins this year. He... Yeah, he had he did string a first and a second together, obviously in Mexico and Hong Kong. So he's probably the one you look at and think he's got the best chance of hitting a really big weekend if uh, things do go wrong for Vern, I guess. Indeed. So yeah, he's shown that already this season. And again, if we look back to New York last year, he won the first race ahead of his teammate Daniel Apps. There was a great bit of uh, intra team uh, team orders situation, a bit of a bit of controversy going on in that first race. Livened it up really, uh, and then again he finished second in, in in the actual final race. So he's got good form at New York. He's going in, and and he's got a significant gap himself of eleven points over Mitch Evans in Jaguar. So he is he is in pole position to take on Vern. He's just it's just so far back. It's just coming back to that again and again. I don't I don't mean to sound down and so sort of not not depressed about it, but it's just it, it it's 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 such an impressive margin that Vern has got considering where we were back in back in Paris, say, when Robin Fryns won. He 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 led the championship at that point. Since then, hasn't scored a point. It's it's just completely turned it around. I think certainly looking at that, we mentioned there's seven other contenders. It's only really Degrassi, I think, that I take too seriously as a contender because the rest, A, they don't necessarily have the form to, for you to say with certainty they could have a massive weekend and B, it's just so far back. It just needs Vern to string together some kind of results to to, to keep them uh, to keep them at bay. But it's, it's good. I guess it's good for the championship. There are so many outside contenders because it can make it quite an interesting, uh, interesting. But, you know, strange things do happen in uh in championships don't they and uh, and you do sometimes see re- remarkable turnarounds i always my one i always remember i was at barcelona in 2005 the finale of spanish f3 which we don't often talk about in the podcast and basically going into the last race uh andy suchek needed to win with everyone crashing basically in order to to win the title i think it was jose perez icar who was leading the championship and then Sure enough, you watch the start of the race. Javier Villa, who went on to win races regularly in, in GP2, spun on the on the damp line on the inside and almost everyone went off into the gravel trap and about three cars didn't go off and it wasn't a red flag and suddenly Sutex champion. You can find that on uh, on YouTube if you search for something like Mon, Monmelo yes. 2005 Spanish F3 finale. It's, uh, it's quite the cra- amazing it wasn't a red flag, but I've, uh, I've digressed. But it is one of those things of, well, I 100% agree with you, you know, being realistic. Jeff's chance of winning the title are probably 95%, 98%, something like that. But you never know when these these strange things uh, strange things occur. Yeah, completely, completely. And we saw that in, in Burn last time out, the first corner, massive accident. 
it's completely complete red flag chaos. In fact, there were two massive accidents because Robin Fryan's got turned around in the in the in the back in the background while the sort of the guys behind the immediate leaders, Pascal Berline, Sam Bird, and, and Max Gunther, got got put into the wall, blocked the track. So it could easily happen. It's, it's a street circuit in New York. It's quite wide at that first turn. Um, so, you know, it, there is the potential for chaos as we as you, we see with any street circuit. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. But I just, I think if we, if we get on to how Jeff got into this position, it, it, it has been in qualifying. If you look at from that race in Paris where Freins was leading the standings, Vern wins in Monaco. He started on pole position because Oliver Rowland had a grid penalty, but Vern still had to get from group one into super pole to put himself into that position to capitalise on a race on, on a track where everyone was saying there'll be no overtaking. And in actual fact, there was a little bit that we saw some good action there back in the pack mainly, but Vern was able to control the race, take what he needed to, and he came away with 25 points there. Uh, Berlin still finished on the podium. It was still a solid result for him there. It was sort of that's where he's sort of maybe hitting his championship winning form in a season where things have fluctuated massively because of the because of the way the qualifying rules are. Then we came to Bern again, a track it was up and down. It was actually a magnificent track overlooking with very beautiful de facto capital of Switzerland there in Bern. But it was just quite narrow in places. There was never going to be a lot of overtaking going on. So again, qualifying absolutely massively important. And Vern nailed that. He really, he was superb going from Group 1 into Super Pole. Uh, I think he was behind Mitch Evans. Yeah, off the top of my head there. Just getting through that group running stages. And then when he came into Super Bowl, he nailed it. He nailed the start. He, he did everything he had to. Controlled it, even when the, the rain came down, made that spectacular ending. And he, and he really, really did just grasps his opportunities there. And it's interesting that at both of the, in both of those races, this is where we arrive at this 32 point gap was where, uh, misfortune went against Degrassi. Now, well, certainly, especially in Monaco, where he was basically, there was a collision as, as, as Sam Bird and, and, uh, Alex Sims are coming together with Degrassi. Unfortunately, there was all a bit of a coming together and, and Sims effectively knocked Degrassi out of the race there. So misfortune there. In Vern, so in Bern, it was unfortunate for Degrassi, but it really was because he and Audi underperformed in qualifying. He, he needed to do what Vern did, go from Super Bowl, get as high up on the grid as possible. Didn't happen. He said he was. They just uh, underestimated the conditions. He found it was gripless. He just didn't have the pace that he needed to do that. He ended up qualifying well down in nineteenth place. Raced raced very very well from there. Got back into the points and then got bumped up another place when there was some inevitable Formula E post race penalties, uh, which we didn't end up leaving the media centre. And gone midnight. That was quite a spectacular one uh, for a change. Um, so yeah. So it's just interesting to note that those were the points where. Vern hit his absolute purple patches and things have gone wrong for Degrassi. And that's how we've arrived at that massive gap. But it should also be said that so many of his other rivals have also had either been involved in incidents or just not had the consistency or the pace. Mitch Evans is in third place. He's done tremendously well all season. He's the most consistent driver in terms of races scored at jointly with Daniel Apt on nine there for both of those. But it's not been sort of heavy scoring enough. And there's been a couple of a couple of non-scores there that sort of held him back a little bit. But it is interesting that he's still in the title fight with that Jaguar package that maybe earlier on in the season we were like, oh, it's not really, it's not really shown much, but then it came on form. He won in Rome. He was brilliant in Bern. He really, he really pressured Vern throughout that, throughout that race. And it was, a, it was a very tight and, and close battle at the end there. Good for Matt Evans, actually, that he's, he seems to have found a place in, in Formula E because he was often struggling for money, that kind of thing. He, he had a, a very good junior single seater career, but it was never, never the most well funded and, he sometimes he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, but you know, GP2 race winner and you know, a, a proper driver. So it looks like he may have found in Formula E a place where he can really 
be regarded as one of the one of the top top drivers because I suppose this year he's proved he he is in that kind of best half dozen I guess completely completely looks looks very much at home he's you know he's, he's shown the pace and he can compete up there with the, with the guys that have been around since the first season obviously he wasn't there at the start came in with Jaguar and he's he's gone from strength to strength with them and and you have to say up there up there with with the best of them right now um it'll be interesting to see where where he goes from here next year when, when see what happens with the evolving Jaguar package things like that um, and obviously we've still got on the horizon the 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 arrival of Porsche and Mercedes will that change the dynamic of the championships? But he's certainly he's certainly in there with you know the the, the consistently good front runners in Formula E these days. Oh well, you talked about how Vern kind of did take charge, but just looking the, in the broader picture, the first part of his season was was poor. We we did see right at the start of the year the signs that in race conditions the Tachita package was very very strong. We kind of thought this is going to come through, but then you know first five races he's he was struggling to put any points on the board so is this just a question of the cream has risen the bad luck stopped and they've hit their stride or has the team also managed to find a find another gear and not literally obviously but find another gear and and get the best out of it or is it literally just well they had some bad luck early on and then once that went away quids in yeah, a combination of all of that, really. So they should have won in, in Adiria, but obviously for the penalty there really cost them. And they just the package in that race which just looked like it was on another level compared to everybody else. And we saw that again in Marrakesh, but Vern had spun away the potential to win the race at the first corner. And then you're right, there was a, he got involved in a number of incidents in Santiago, in Mexico, Hong Kong. He spun during qualifying, caused red flag. It was it was all coming a little bit undone and looking a bit sort of tricky. And there was sort of there was there was rumours about what was going on with the team, and and it was it's new marriage to DS. Perhaps there were a bit of friction there. And uh, team principal Mark Preston alluded to some sort of growing pains as they got used to each other. And Jeff spoke of just how differently you have to work with a manufacturer, but consistently it, it, they've always been among the front runners. He, whether, if if Vern wasn't performing, then Lotterer was. Should have won in Hong Kong, nearly won in Rome. It, the, te- the team has been has been very good all throughout the year. But I did I spoke to to Mark Preston in Bern about this, and I said, you know what, what what's been the key? To, you've gone from a great height, had had that dip, and now you've sort of come back to it. And he said, well, because of the way the qualifying rules are it's really just been come about managing expectations in that you arrive in these races and you go, okay, right. We might not necessarily win here because of the group one effect. There's going to be races where we've just got to do the best that we can rather than going, right, this is our chance. And he said, it's just been about that sort of expectation management and managing the season ever so slightly differently. And it is interesting with the way these rules have evolved in Formula E. It's not, it really isn't your sort of traditional motorsport the best team qualifies at the front and goes off into the distance. And we could debate the merits or demerits of that for a long time, I'm sure. But it has, it has created a nice sort of, ah, okay, this is what, these are the hurdles to be overcome. Can they do it? Which teams can and can't rise to the fore under those circumstances. And DS have nailed that in the last few races, especially as we saw, particularly in Bern, keep coming back to that, where Vern nailed the, uh, the qualifying and Degrassi didn't. Obviously, there is the small matter of the the teams championship as well, which Cheetah are almost certainly going to going to win there. They're well ahead of uh, Apps two hundred. What about all those points. variables, Ed? Well, there we go. Two hundred sixteen points to one seventy three. But when you've got two cars, there's in a way there's more variables, but there's fewer variables because it's harder for lightning to strike twice or four times, as it as it might have to. Shall we? Shall we say? So, I know nobody's nobody really remembers the teams champions in the same way rightly or wrongly but it it's always the drivers that, that engage people that does show how strong 
to Cheetah have been. And of course, Andre Lotter is one of those other drivers in contention in, in fourth in the championship, despite not winning a race. So, yeah, just testament to the to the strength of of this team, which is which isn't one of the on paper most heralded ones. Obviously, the team was newly created for Formula E. DS isn't isn't kind of your first choice manufacturer in terms of should we say wider recognition and that kind of thing. Although obviously, this is really helping it to to get that reputation. It's beating obviously at at the Apt Audi squad BMW. Jaguar, you know, these are these are big names. Indeed. Uh, and what's interesting with that team's championship that you, that you said um, is, is look at how Audi reacted when it won that prize last season. Audi had a terrible start at the beginning of the year. Where they had no points after however many, however many races it was. And they roared back with what was comprehensively the best package of last season. And they pipped to Cheetah. Then it was a customer Renault squad um, by just two points in the season finale. And they celebrated. They were so pleased that they'd managed to turn that around. And that just shows you what it means to the teams, to the manufacturers, as you say, to these big, big names like your Audis, like BMW. And for DS to be beating them, that's that's fantastic for them and that's what they're in Formula E for to to show off this this brand part of the Citroen group that they are and to to get a bit, bit more recognition compared to sort of their alliance partners but what they've got this year as you say is a, is a is a healthy points advantage and and also I think the team is just right okay we we want this we want this double title that's probably a good focus to have isn't it because that should ensure they're not too worried about it. because the drivers championship should take care of itself it's one of those things and yeah, the team's championship. I guess that means you take a slightly more holistic view of the of the, of the entire operation. But yeah, the remarkable uh, achievement for that team, of course, Mark Preston, who was with Super Guru in Formula One uh, back in the day, which was a, a sort of clever little team that was quite short lived, but came on very well in, in two thousand and seven. So a very uh, a very capable uh, capable guy. Uh, well, what are the other big news stories going on in Formula E? Obviously, we've had Honda making noises about maybe at some stage coming in once they've conquered Formula 1, shall we say, and they've taken a step towards that by at least winning a Grand Prix in Formula 1. So how, how seriously should we take Honda? What we saw with those words recently from Honda is that, you know, they they are seriously looking at, at Formula E now. They've spoken to Alejandro Agag. We know that there were sort of talks in the past because Formula E talked to every manufacturer they can do because they, that's really important to, to what they see the championship being. But this sort of, it feels like Honda... They, as you say, they want to be more successful in Formula One first, and that will remain their priority, especially once you know the the amount of effort they've put in first with McLaren overcoming that. You could see on the podium in Austria just how much that meant to them. So they do need. There's going to be a little bit of time. We're thinking that if such a program were to come to fruition, it wouldn't certainly wouldn't be for next season or probably the year after. We're looking more towards season eight of Formula E. Um, what will be interesting was they'd have to partner with an existing team. Formula E can't expand any further. They are their contractual limits with all the squads. Once uh, Mercedes, sorry, once Porsche comes in next year, Mercedes is coming too, but it takes over HWA's existing existing entry. Formula E is at capacity, so Honda will either have to partner with an existing team or buy it outright. But what we do know is that Formula E is very keen to have further Japanese expansion. Uh, I spoke last year to Alejandro Agaghi, was keen for a, a Japanese driver to come in, possibly with Nissan, didn't ultimately end up going that way. Uh, also a race there, they're quite keen on. It's quite tricky in Japan to organise a street race just because of the way the roads are governed over there. It's a little, little bit more complex than in some cities, but it's a massive electric vehicles market. So that's why from both sides, there's potential there. Yeah, that would make perfect sense to try and uh, try and crack Japan in that that regard. Yeah, street race out there would be uh, would be mega. And you can bet that if they're making noises about maybe coming into Formula E in the future, they'll be they'll be 
some little working group somewhere in Toshigi and in Japan in their R&D center having a little look at things and working through ideas so that, that'll give them a little bit of a rolling start should they uh, should they want to come in but you know it says a lot that you've basically got every manufacturer either in Formula E or seriously looking at it which you know says a lot about about the appeal this that this is a championship that is very timely yeah, it, it takes a lot of boxes for manufacturers in that we know the sort of the electrification of the of of the of the road going models. That's where we that's where that sort of side of the of their businesses is going. Also, it's so yes, yeah, so it's great marketing, but it's also it's also cost effective. It's not like you'd have to do a hundred million, however much, to get into Formula One for technology that's not necessarily what's going to be the future, and all sorts of questions going on there about the future rules. So things are fairly set. It's sort of. It does what it says on the tin formula. Okay, it's 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 ever so slightly complicated, and it's more not gimmicky, but it's more sort of geared towards the entertainment. But they sort of know what they're getting, and it's going to be very very interesting when Porsche and Mercedes turn up because you've got these two giants of motorsport who dominated their field. Especially look at Porsche and LMP1, Mercedes currently in Formula One. What's going to happen there? Well, that's will it still be so appealing to manufacturers, even them, if they're not winning? We saw at the beginning of the year it was eight different eight different winners from eight different races. The championship, you know, could have gone to anyone at that point. Will they still be so interested if that if that's going to carry on? I, I like to think they will. And and they're certainly that's certainly not to suggest that any of them are quitters. I remember I spoke to I went to a an event where, where Neil Yarny was testing at Calafat in Spain and I said, you know, if Porsche doesn't win in Formula E because it's so tight and it's so it's so hotly contested, would they just go? And he said, I don't know, I'm not the best person to answer that, but my feeling they're not quitters that you know there's not going to be any running away from this and it's just such a, a tight and entertaining championship that they will want to be a part of and it's good in many ways for for these manufacturers because they they do have big budgets and you know some former e-budget is a drop in the ocean for for most of the the bigger ones so that, that kind of works i think when you've got so many manufacturers that's when a championship really works it's when when there's a slightly bigger imbalance that you uh that you have uh have difficulties uh but if if Honda does come in, it looks like it wouldn't be with a twin motor as they've been outlawed, haven't they? So what what exactly is that about? Is that not narrowing the the technical innovation scope of, of Formula E? Well, this is what this is what I assessed for a column I wrote for Autosport Plus in that basically this has been bubbling away long rumoured in the paddock all season that Nissan were running this the only team to be running a twin motor. Nothing illegal about doing that under the current rules for this season, which is why they're allowed to keep it for the remainder of the season. It was homologated by the FAA. They said, you know, we went through all the processes. The FAA said it was okay. Uh, but it's just that they're banning it for next year because the the the, the rumour still, we don't, we don't, Nissan have now confirmed that that is what they've been doing. But we don't know the exact makeup of how they're doing it. And the suggestions are that it's very, very complicated. And that's the bit that they're, keen to not to see because they basically don't the FIA if effectively have outlawed it on cost control grounds they don't want the teams going down this avenue and spending all of their money developing their powertrains uh, to, to, to get that benefit but as you say Ed it does seem to be stifling innovation on the face of it so I put this to the, F, to the FIA and I, I said you know if one of the central pillars of Formula E is about developing electric vehicle technology does this not send the wrong message and they said well actually from their point of view, it's not innovation to have two motors for the same amount of power that you can get with one, which is which is a fair point of view. But it does, I don't know, it sort of, it does seem strange that 
even if it is very complex and it's different and maybe costly, don't know, with what Nissan are doing, it just seems does seem strange to sort of go, okay, we wanna we wanna promote how you develop electric vehicle technology, but you have to do it in a prescribed way. Just seems odd. Don't get me wrong, you'll get these all these engineers are incredibly clever and they they'll come up with innovative ways to, to to make the most out of that one motor system, but it is just sort of narrowing that alley, as it were. Um the other way that that it's been has been put out there is that the, the FAA sort of did this. This is what the team suggested in Bern to ensure that there was fair competition with everyone because the Nissan was very good in qualifying, but the, the reverse of that was he wasn't very good in the race. I mean, it's, it's still great, still good in the race. It's just not won a race this season. So it's just it's just a an interesting convoluted thing. Uh, but also fundamentally, going back to this, I was speaking to our technical editor Jake Boxall Leg about Formula E technology, and there's a sense among the more technical-minded people, as he very much is, and I'm very much not, but focused on the on the good sport and competition in Formula E, is that the technology they're currently using is still fairly not not basic, but it's not it's not the most sophisticated that it could be. So, what's going to happen in the further generations of Formula E? Will they will we get more complex and therefore potentially more controversial drivetrains? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what you need to try and strike that balance between creating innovation and a real test bed and and making it affordable that's a balance motorsport always always struggles with but yeah it's it's it doesn't seem to be putting people off at least i suppose that's that's one way of uh one way of looking at it and i guess they wouldn't have done this if some of the other manufacturers that are coming in were were going down that route so i guess the the biggest advantage of having a twin motor would be if you're Doing torque vectoring and that kind of thing, which you're not allowed to do, are you? In, in Formula, I think that's still still the case, isn't it? So, which is varying the the power delivery, that kind of thing, uh, to get stability. But again, that's something that's being experimented with in road cars and that kind of thing. And that that's the that's the strange thing, isn't it? It, it comes down to what technologies they want to allow and and, and not allow. It's uh, yeah, very very difficult. But I guess the fact that there's not many teams that have uh, manufacturers going that way suggests that it's not a major issue well it's been tried in the past by 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 teams in sort of the the, the first and th- sorry the second and third seasons of formula e and it didn't produce the most wonderful results but there's always been this this thought that if you got it right it had tremendous potential um but what this this whole thing i think it, it really it strikes at the heart of what formula e is is how do you balance that complex technological spectacle with entertainment and growing a startup championship because as we've seen in Formula One, do people really care about what the suspension, these complicated, very expensive parts that are under the skin of the of the cars, do they do they really care? And they would, I'm sure some people do, and it's it's great that they that they are interested in that. But for the for the spectacle, which Formula E seems slightly more geared towards, it's not so much of an issue. So it's it's one for for considerations, as you say, with the future technologies and and things that they're going to implement then. And it will be fascinating to see how that Gen 3 Formula E, Gen 4, and it goes on down the line, what what sort of stuff they want to bring in. We know already there's discussions going on. We know Porsche are involved. We know Audi. Lucas Degrassi's right. So Colin Broto Sport Engineering, he's put in there what he thinks in the past what Formula E should be doing with its future generations. And it's just, yeah, there's there, there's all sorts of different approaches and stuff that they want to take in. And that, always that balance, isn't it? Make it so it's affordable and cost-effective and worth manufacturers putting money in. And it's, it's, a, it's a precarious a precarious tightrope to walk isn't it very uh very very difficult but yeah exactly exactly but formula e if anything can afford to do that can afford to be a little bit more on the technological cutting edge shall we say because that's what 
that's what some of the manufacturers will be there for. I mean, you could say that for some of, some of these manufacturers, it's a pure promotional marketing exercise and that it's seen as a green championship or whatever, and I'm sure that's an important part of it. But you also actually want to do something with with the technology because it's one of the things that while a lot of the tech may not be especially cutting edge, really, which some of it isn't, it's quite well-known technology, but the way it's used, you can always learn a lot out of more aggressive use of technology and motorsport offers very specific demands, doesn't it? And that's actually where sometimes you can make big gains, even if it's not something that's brand new and invented uh, yesterday, should we say. Well, we have got uh, Porsche coming in next season and, and Mercedes, so we should just briefly look ahead a little bit. That's going to be another step another another step more, isn't it? Obviously, we've had, we sort of treat the HWA entry as a little bit of a Mercedes toe in the water in terms of getting a sort of team ready and Porsche have been, have been running. So those look like two manufacturers ready to come in, absolutely hit the ground, absolutely hit the ground sprinting, let alone running. Yeah, you would have thought that if there were any sort of loopholes or little things they can find, they are the sort of teams and manufacturers that we know from the past will just drive everything they can through there. And you fully expect them to arrive with just ready to go. Just they've taken different approaches with HWA being the sort of feeder team this year for Mercedes. They've done their they've done their learning very much in public with that. Okay, using Venturi powertrain, but. It's going to be really interesting to see how they do that because, as, as I said, they they dominated their respective fields, but only one can win now in Formula E, and it, it adds it adds a real layer of prestige to Formula E for next season. Not just for for those guys to come in and and, and enhance their own reputations, but for the existing teams that are already there because they're going to go. Well, hang on a minute, we're the we're the incumbents here. We've we're the teams with all the experience, and yet we're talking on this podcast about Mercedes and Porsche. That's that's they're coming in just on the strength of their reputation. So there's going to be a lot of of great competition. You you, you would hope and expect between what you've got of the existing manufacturers and the, and the ones coming in. Um, we we think in terms of, of the makeup of the teams. Obviously, we know Neil Yarney is going to be driving one of the Porsches. He's got some Formula E experience, not very much with Dragon at the beginning of last season. Don't know yet the uh, the, the who's going to be his partner there at Porsche. We suspect that it's going to favour an experienced Formula E driver. So you've got to look to Andre Lotterer. He's a Porsche factory driver, but he's also under contract at, at DS there. So who are they going to go for? It's going to be a, a, a tough decision there for them. Same with Mercedes. We suspect there's links to Stoffel van Dorn, who's in the HWA setup. Again, they've got a number of drivers they can call on from, from their own ranks. Esteban Ocon. There's no suggestion that he will be in Formula E next season, but if they can't find a Formula 1 seat for him, it's a prestigious place to put a highly ranked uh, Mercedes driver. How worried are the existing teams about Mercedes and Porsche? Because you mentioned they're being judged on their reputation, but it's not just their reputation. It's also their budget as well. So there, there is there must be a little bit of a fear that for some of these teams have always been blown out of the water by, by the championship being set up to the next level by this. So are people really relishing that fight? Or are they thinking, well, if we beat them, it'd be great, but we could we could really be be holed by uh, this, just this big spending torpedoes that are going into the championship? I think, it's, I think it's a combination of both. There is genuinely an expectation from some of the people that I've spoken to of like, yeah, you just wait. You just wait and see. They'll be questioning everything. Can you imagine some of the the, the, uh, the steward's decisions that they'll be going 
you know firing off to their lawyers in back at base being like right we've got to make sure everything here is is so focused and insane and they will they will still try and spend the money that they can but the the championship's taking steps to make sure that we saw the big marketing budgets that you had in lmp1 i think specifically with porsche here um that it's all they're, they're not allowed to have that sort of that's where they're going to sort of spend their money outside of the championship. Um, and there is, I did, I was wandering around uh, the race in Sanya and I was looking through the e-village. There was like massive sort of, it almost looked like hospitality areas with, with Porsche, even though they weren't there yet, Audi, et cetera, stuff like that. You go in and you have a look around. This was sort of replicated at other races. Berlin is another example of that. But they're not. They're just, they're there purely for the fans. There's nowhere for all the team guests or whatever to hang out. It's just information stations and they're keeping that very tightly focused in terms of the sort of marketing side of it. What Porsche and Mercedes choose to do around and outside of the championship is obviously completely up to them. But what what will be what is very good about Formula E and Porsche already acknowledged this. As I said when I spoke to Yanni at this at the event in Califat back earlier in the spring, is that so much of the package is spec. It is that there is only a very limited part they can they can develop themselves as, as we've seen. So you wouldn't have thought they'd come in with a a massive advantage. It's just if they do find those advantages, you would expect with their reputations that they're going to exploit that to the max. I guess the real challenge would be can they deliver that, that sort of consistency that it's been harder for teams to to achieve particularly with the way the rules are so that you have that sort of push and pull won't you the rules designed to try and make it harder for one team to to dominate versus what, what they're doing uh, in terms of next season there's a few other changes aren't there with attack modes and the the way races will be operated as well yeah, a few little sporting uh, changes announced recently at the World Motorsport Council meeting in Paris. So attack mode is going to have uh, going to be slightly higher. It's going to be up to 235 kilowatts uh, from 225 as it is currently. Uh, drivers are very pleased about this. I think it will make more of a difference when it comes to overtaking. Again, the problem will still be the narrowness of some of the tracks whether that will be whether that will be the the overriding factor uh, but the most eye-catching sporting change um concerns the sort of the energy management side of things especially when it comes to full course yellows and safety cars because this season and throughout the season lots of drivers have been saying right as soon as soon as one happens even if it's reasonably brief that's it we don't have to worry about energy to get to the end of the race we know we can push hard and as flat out as, as we can and what Formula E are very keen to see is exactly what we saw in Mexico, which was that tremendous finish with uh, Pascal Verlein running out of power just before he, you know he's on the run to the finish line and Lucas Degrassi nips around him, seals the win. Formula E are very keen to see that repeated, ideally at every race. I'm sure they would love to see that. Um, so what they're going to do is once, if there's a safety car or a full course yellow, they're going to measure the amount of time that the race is interrupted for before it goes back to green flag racing. And then say, let's take the safety car example. This is what it was explained to me when these rules were in, these changes were announced was that say it's a six minute safety car period. They're going to subtract the kilowatt hours, the amount of energy remaining from that six minute period. So they will lose six minutes worth of energy, the energy they would have saved during that safety car period. They can still save energy while the car is running at a slower pace. But that's that's so that's where the difference in powertrain efficiency will become an important factor. But that whole block of time, uh, sorry, that whole block, yeah, well, the whole block of time and that block of energy will just be gone. So you have, the race will restart as it was with the with the. You know, no one can have. If you've saved energy before that, you'll still have, you'll still have that, but it will be the same gap that it was to to your rivals, sort of thing. So it's it's it should guarantee you know more energy management races more drama hopefully but at the same time i wonder and this is something lucas degrassi talked about in burn was maybe it's a bit too complicated especially for like these casual fans and 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 people might be new to 
first of all, to motorsport completely, but also coming in from watching other championships. It's just a little bit too convoluted, too technical. Depends, doesn't it? Because if it's if it's as simple a thing as just just cutting back the energy allocation, that's almost invisible to a casual fan, isn't it? It doesn't make a huge obvious difference. So that maybe is all right, isn't it? Because it's you don't need to understand that because there's a certain race distance. You know, it's, it's not going to have a a massive impact, shall we say, other than the fact that it'll preserve the need to to energy manage. Well, it's, it's interesting. The drivers are still saying they prefer Formula E to go back to a set number of laps because it's still going to be the forty-five minute plus one lap format. So you're right; it's going to be about how is it, how how it's explained to to everyone in the TV coverage. And I'm sure Formula E, as it as it has evolved over the years, has done a, has done a tremendous job of explaining things like attack mode. Even that could have been to the outside, you know, first time viewer of Formula E race. Like something, what are they doing? And now it's it's just it's very cleverly and easily explained in signposts. So you're right. So since, since they stopped making it look like the attack mode required you to drive into a tree. Yes. At that, the start that, of the season. That, that but the attack mode lay, lane has actually been very good since then. Indeed. Although it's, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see where it's going to be placed again throughout the year. That was something that's come up a lot this season is that drivers saying, well, if it's on a straight, as we saw in Bern, it's almost, it's almost not really an issue because they don't lose any time going off going into the zone there but then at the same time some other drivers when it's placed on the outside of a corner they're like well that's going to that's going to cause chaos so it's going to be too much the other way so it's 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 an interesting dynamic that it's added to but you're all as 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 with everything really it just comes down to that communication that explaining of this is what's happening boom away we go again exactly well that's the uh thing i think a lot audiences will generally understand things if they want to if they're willing to pay attention and a lot of the ones, if they're not that bothered about the deed, there's always details and things that people aren't interested in and all of us have things we sort of disregard and, and focus on. So I think as long as the racing is interesting and storied and there's stuff happening, people will be engaged with it, won't they? And everyone will have their own different level of uh, whether just somebody turned it on doesn't know who Formula E is and just wants to see a good motor race. Uh, which they to, which they almost always are exactly, you, exactly. you look at Burn, there wasn't not, an, not enough of them are all sport readers that's probably more, <laughs> more auto sport readers among the among the fan base indeed indeed and you know it is it's going to be interesting to see we've we talked a lot especially on the last podcast about the narrative that we saw we felt was missing when everyone was winning and now it's like okay the narrative's gone almost too far the other way there's no competitive rivalry so nearly had that we still do have that really between Vernon and Degrassi this season but he's got such a big advantage now whether that carries on into next year is it going to be the same level of of not randomness but competition spread oh interesting can i just correct something that i promised i correct to audi team principal alan mcnish after our last podcast where i was uh, i was saying how well the envision virgin racing team was doing with no testing uh I bumped into him in monaco uh, outside of the event he was heading home i was off out to dinner and he he, he was on the phone and he came over he said no just i wanted to correct one thing very quickly very politely we gave them three days of our testing so there we go i promised that i would correct that at the next available opportunity and i have done so very, very well corrected, yes. Uh, almost seamless. Yeah, although <laughs> stupid for having made the mistake in the first place, obviously. The error is not making the mistake. Well, that is the error, but not not making up for it. And Why, why do I sense there's a reference to Neo coming in my pre-season testing analysis? No, you, you were correct based on the available information within the context of the suppositions made. As, as you were about Ferrari. In exactly. Uh, ultimately, it's, it's one of those things with, I always say with testing, there's a certain amount of data and information and also... Ferrari and F1, all the teams thought that was the case as well. So, in good company, you can only uh, you can only judge by what's going on, and that's good because you want surprises, don't you? Sport sport shouldn't be about predictions and that kind of thing. 
No, even, though, even though I've asked you to predict who's going to win the championship, but it's going to be Jean Eric Verne, isn't it? That's the expectation. Uh, I, th- I think I'd be very foolish not to predict anyone else. Let's put it that way. You don't want to predict a Neo driver to somehow have a storming 200 point weekend or some such? Uh, you're you're one you're someone who hates the phrase a driver delivering 110 percent so <laughs> you suggesting that a, any driver is going to deliver a 200 point weekend when there's only uh what is it 29 times two, 58 available yeah Inter- I, I, interesting approach there Ed. i don't like flippant uh, mathematical inaccuracy it's just just doesn't just doesn't mean anything no it's fair enough i was irritated i saw an advert on the tube that was talking about something being 11 out of 10 and i thought well, that doesn't work that debases your whole the whole credibility of your product. Mathematically correct advertising. That's the uh, that's the campaign that we uh, that we now need. Anyway, I think we've digressed. Yeah, it's very focused. This podcast. Exactly. Been, exactly. Yeah. Well, we should we should let you uh, get on with packing your bags to head off to uh, to New York. So enjoy that. Uh, so thanks very much, Alex Kalinorkas. Uh, do check out autosport.com for all the latest on Formula E, Formula 1 and the rest of the world of motorsport and our plus subscriber area, which Alex is the king of, with all sorts of uh, in-depth columns, features, interviews from the world's best motorsport journalists. Are you going to make me a crown now that you've anointed me the king? Potentially. I can't promise it'll be a very good crown, but there we go. And I need to, one, one that fits in with your hair as well. which is, Oh, quite a big one then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, a large fine. hair is, uh, Works for me. is getting in the way. Uh, Autosport Magazine is out every every Thursday. You'll have uh, your preview in uh, in the, the Thursday magazine that's released. It will uh, this week, released. yes, ahead of the races in New York. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and the following week, there'll be all sorts of in-depth analysis of what happens in due course, a season review. Uh, check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News out every Wednesday. And if you like this podcast, and you haven't already do subscribe obviously it's free we're out usually every monday and thursday it can be found on itunes spotify all the usual podcast suppliers thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another auto sport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.